Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the NXT Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I say, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review NXT and an eventful show, Michael Hamlet. Yeah, I um, really like this. I thought this was a, a great wrestling show. NXT, um, one of the things, even when I think it's half decent, rarely feels like it flies by like this episode did. Mm. Um, I was really impressed with the sequencing of everything, which has been actually a victory for NXT in the last few weeks. They've paced out, the, they've spaced out the big matches really well, and they've given all of them the requisite amount of time for you to like invest exactly as much as they have in the stories that have led up to them. Um, just it felt tight. There was a couple of finishes I didn't really like, but this was a really tight and broadly very enjoyable show. I thought the in-ring action ranged from good to very 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 good and it was consistent throughout the night i just in terms of the storytelling and how they advanced certain character arcs and built matches i kind of liked the style with which they did it the intent but not the execution there's one thing i'm going to bury but otherwise yeah this is one of the stronger nxt nxt shows i've seen for a while and i just remember emerging from it thinking hey i bloody enjoyed that Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah, a few a few distractions, a few bits of interference. We'll get into that. I thought for the most part, as you said, Sage, that the interaction was was really, really good. And there was one genuinely laugh out loud moment that we will get to in due course. But let's start at the beginning of the show. Uh, the grudge match that was Tony Storm versus Zoe Stark, personified by the fact Storm slapped the taste out of Stark's mouth just as the bell rings. Uh Tough, tough looking bump for uh, for Stark on the apron by Storm tripping her up there and then pulls her off it uh, and then hip attacks her into the ring steps. Later on, uh, Stark blocks a, a great counter. Stark blocks a Storm Zero, hits a Hurricane Rana. Then uh, Storm eventually comes back. It's a German suplex, hits the Storm Zero for a great near fall. And you think, well, how on earth is she going to follow it up with this mad new finisher she's got? I don't know what it is. I've read people describe it as a step over twisting DDT. So that's what I'm going to go with. But regardless, it was bonkers. Tony Storm got the win. And then as she's celebrating post-match, the light goes, light go out. And uh, you hear, I do, I don't know why I, re- I really like this as a way to just piss all over the parade and send Frankie Monet to literally steal the spotlight. Her going, oh, we expected someone else. It's me, Frankie. And then she pops on the stage with a bloody dog. I don't know why I like that so much, but uh, yeah. Hamlet, what did you reckon to the opener? Loved it, man. I loved it. That slap foreshadowed like the rest of the match in terms of how hard everything just hit. They just laid it in, and mm. I got so much out of that. Like you mentioned the apron bump, but like you like was so desensitized to like steel steps spots for the most part. And I felt that. Like I heard myself going, oof, like that. And like it just laid in a pattern for the whole match. And it was again quite appropriate that we got that finish of all finishes. It wasn't just 
oh, the Storm Zero isn't going to cut it anymore. I need this new devastating kill shot of a finisher. It was completely in keeping with the fact that these beat the absolute out of each other. Yeah. Like another really impressive performance from Zoe Stark. Like as good as she is now, it kind of makes you think they've got something very special in her when she properly finds herself as a character. I don't know if they go that route of heel turn first, followed by organic babyface turn, or she gets to like ride this out as a babyface. But when the bare bones are so brilliant, mm. like the, I don't know, like the sky's the limit for somebody like Zoe Stark. And again, like to go back to that finish, um, as dangerous and as violent and believable a finish as it looked, I wonder if it reflects like a turning point for Tony Storm. Her heel turn has basically happened uh, with no sort of, no narrative attachment to it. She's just gone bad. She's just beating up the baby faces instead of beating up the heels. And she's lost a couple of matches as a result. Is this finish a rep- like representative of her finding her focus again? Like this is part of the heel turn. This is part of the new Tony Storm. The old stuff wasn't working, as we saw with the Storm Zero. So she's going to this well instead. So I thought like psychologically it was really sound as well as like fabulously vicious looking as a way to put up, mm. like not just as a way to put Zoe Stark away, but as a way to put her over as somebody that was approaching her equal. I thought this was brilliant. Frankie Monet stuff was like really cute as well. Like we're considering this and they had like that billboard advert later on. I think they've done like a bang up job of like building proper hype for her. She's going to be like, you know, like I think about this a little bit in podcast terms and I think about it in like you compiling your preview notes. <laughs> She's near the top of the list next yeah. week and there's an NXT title match. I think they've been like super effective in building up her debut and it didn't take away from like the, like the shocking impact I was left with from this match. This was great. Not like four stars or above, but for an actual TV opener, very, very good action. Like just the connection on some of the stuff. Like it, they engineered the tone of a fight, which is really what you want, particularly out of NXT, which can, ironically, given these accusations are normally lobbed at the competition, it can degenerate into my turn, your turn spots. We saw it literally last week um, in a match that didn't really need that kind of style imposed upon it this was a scrap this is a scrap decorated with some really cool looking stuff um the flight on stark's drop kick is tremendous she was like a missile at certain points that steel step spot resonated with me as well it felt like she had a head like caved in jammed between storm's propulsive force and the actual metal like really strong stuff and i'm going to pay this match the highest possible compliment and what it reminded me of um, without being anywhere near as good or effective, because I hold this finish in the absolute highest regard in terms of all-time great pro wrestling finishes. John Moxie's debut, right, against Juice Robinson in New Japan Pro Wrestling, one of my goddamn favorite finishes. In that moment, I knew, all right, John Moxie's going to be great because he still had the WWE stink. He'd done the awesome podcast interview, which got him over, but he's still just, like, how good is he in this mm-hmm. new context? And he just did one of the cleverest things I've ever seen a pro wrestler do within 20 minutes. Thought, right, okay, he's awesome. And then and I fell in love instantly. What he did was he put Juice Robinson away or tried to put him away with the old version of the Dirty Deeds DDT. It, he registered it enough to a Japanese audience that might not have been totally familiar. He was clever enough to register it as, right, this is the finish. And then he kicked out. And he's like, right, okay. Now I'm just going to have to be John Moxley, not Dean Ambrose. And then he did the spiked... Death Rider version. What he did was he put Juice Robinson over by having him kick out of his finish in his first match. Then he debuted a brand new deadly looking version of it to put himself over as John Moxley and not Dean Ambrose. Mm. It was fabulous. You can't debut a new finisher every week, but this is the perfect context in which to debut a new finisher against someone who you had to be clever about to put away. In terms of putting someone over and defeat... um, NXT's nailed this with Zoe Stark. They mm. nailed it again tonight. I thought this was genuinely fabulous. Without going to the four-star level, mm. genuinely fabulous, uh, fabulous booking. Yeah, great comparison that there as well. Uh, we followed that up with uh, Cameron Grimes arriving in his fancy car. Uh, Jake Atlas and a few other wrestlers are outside. Have a bit of a back and forth where he says, oh, you can't park there because that's where Ted DiBiase parks his limo. Grimes isn't happy. Square up to each other. And they challenge uh, the, the challenge is laid down for a match later on tonight, which uh, gets made official. And Grimes throws money at Jake Atlas because, of course, he does. And then we cut to the spa where Candice Ray and Indy Hartwell are getting facials, they're getting massages, they're celebrating the fact they are NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, and they're talking about 
Dex Lewis being just such a bloody loser. They're slagging him off. They're saying, I don't know what I ever saw in him. Uh, Indy Hartwell says she's absolutely done with him. The camera zooms out. <laughs> it's a little bit creepy. Dex Lewis is the one giving her the massage. And uh, he looks very forlorn and he leaves. And it cuts back to Stu Bennett, who says, I will never shut my eyes during a massage again. Um, what did you make of this, Sid? Um, I, I can't decide whether it was bad optics or a sight gag. I just, you could do something else. So why not do it? Um, particularly in NXT. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is. It's just like, it's an avenue to go down now that I imagine film and television wouldn't, which is somebody laying their hands on somebody without consent. Um, but it was done in that way to be obviously part one of a two-part gag. Mm-hmm. And obviously the reveal of Dexter Lemus is like, I'm, I'm exactly the same as Sidgwick on this one. Like that stuck out instantly. But I really liked the um, payoff gag. Mm. Um, I, wonder, I wonder maybe, could they have got there without the specific use of a massage of all things. Um, because Indy Hartwell's like, got, hmm, she's got like all the agency in this relationship with Dexter Loomis, which I think, you know, has been important to sort of, not like allow you to get away with stuff like that, but like she's the one kind of like in control of this relationship. And obviously it's, if anything, it's Candice LeRae trying to put these barriers up from Indy Hartwell, getting to Dexter Loomis. It's nothing to do with Dexter himself. Um, and I did, I really like the payoff. I still really like the angle. And I think this was a, a nice way to like, use the angle on this show that was otherwise quite wrestling heavy. I thought this was like, this was nice breather sports entertainment content that you don't always get between the matches and between the, the grit of NXT. So I liked it. Um, yeah. I, I too felt a little bit weird about the, the choice of a, of a massage and Dexter, like how long was he in the room? How long was he touching her without her realizing it's all that sort of stuff. All those questions that like, it's okay to ask. Um, but the payoff was good. Like genuinely, I thought the payoff was, was quite funny and quite sweet. And the way continue to like elevate the material they're given. Yeah. She probably would have consented is absolutely not the same thing as consent. No. Exactly. We'll, we'll get to the, 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 the lighter side of all this in, in due course. Uh, instead, next we got uh, the prime target for Bala versus Cross 2. Uh, they showed footage from what happened before. Uh, they edited in, you know, bits of their promos and the back and forth that they've had. And they had talking heads from uh, the greatest wrestler of all time, Pat McAfee, Jimmy Smith, Paul Heyman, giving their, their points of view on who they thought was going to win. Surprise, surprise, Michael Hamlet. I mean, prime target is always excellent, isn't it? Yeah, this looked great, but I don't think it was terribly effective. Um, I kind of what we talked about in the preview yesterday, all the gorgeous like camera cuts and the shots of them hitting each other really hard, like all of that landed more than say like a long, deliberately paced and scripted NXT in-ring promo, like far superior than that. But the whole idea was obviously, so you've got like, well, there's Pat McAfee and Paul Heyman as these, obviously the cameras just happened to be at SmackDown. So they got the shots in when they could like Paul Heyman doing his spoiler bit. And uh, like the, the whole idea was supposed to be, I t- I just I can't call it. Like, I can. Like it happened two weeks ago to take over and Karen Cross won. Like that was very ineffective because like it doesn't like if they're one one, that's when you do the I can't call it anymore. Like these two are just complete equals. Couldn't believe Balor got the measure room in the rematch. And now like I wouldn't put I wouldn't put the house on it. You just don't know what's gonna happen. Like you do. The idea here was to like try and find a way to build suspense that Finn Balor can get it done the second time around. So I thought this looked stunning. WWE at the best of this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure it was effective in making me buy that Finn Balor's got a chance next week. The Road 2 Dynamite are the best at this, just to clarify that point you've just made. I'll just I'll just put words in your mouth if you don't mind. <laughs> um, I thought this was actively bad, actively bad. Um, what's ironic, right, about Paul Heyman is that he's been telling you the truth for years now as it pertains to Brock Lesnar winning the matches that Paul Heyman says... He's just going to win. That's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. In that regard, yes, he has credibility and he's been really clever to do that, particularly when it didn't happen. And yet, and yet, he's such a carny. This is a guy who will tell AJ Styles, you're literally the best wrestler I've ever seen. And you can imagine two minutes later, I'm saying the exact same thing to somebody else. 
Not mm-hmm. that AJ Styles isn't actually phenomenal, but you get what I'm saying. Paul Heyman is such a lying corny bastard in a, you know, sometimes very effective way. I, I can't take him seriously. I just can't. And I, I know all the stories about him promising that checks wouldn't bounce in the bounced. He's just a snake oil salesman. And it works when he's doing that in character. But when he's positioned as this impartial guy and he's saying, just too close to call, I do not believe a word he's saying because it's Paul Heyman saying it. So I didn't like that. I did like the idea that these are athletes who watch tape and who study and who prepare and who strategize. Mm. That's good, but I didn't like the execution of a real good kernel of an idea. Some of the actual verbiage in this, I thought was absolutely woeful. We, again, we fretted on the preview about what story was there. Instead, they reached for this gravitas that just simply wasn't, and it just felt fake as a result. Pat McAfee said, and I'm thinking, I'm not just paraphrasing, I'm quoting here, it will be a dream come true if Finn Balor wins that title back. Will it? Who's dream? Obviously, Finn Balor's dream. Are you saying, Pat McAfee, that it's your dream or the fans' dream? And you can't say, oh, it's a relevant obligation because they will get a rating to do the rematch. You can't say that, but at the same time, you can't also say absolutely ridiculously lofty things because then you'd come so close to parody. And Jimmy Smith said it would be a tragedy if Finn Balor doesn't get it back. What? <laughs> Dreams, tragedies, shut up. I honestly thought this was actively bad. So on that as well, what they're basically suggesting is that when Karrion Cross wins, and which are led to assume he's probably going to fight Johnny Gargano, the baby face has caused tragedies and the ending of dreams. The baby face, like that's a, it's a, that's a, that ties back to the the problems they've got with the Cross character. And they picked without any thought as to how this is going to all play out in the big overarching narrative. They picked the just what incredibly lofty words can we use to sell this fight that sounded ridiculous and will reveal themselves to be even dafter in the next month, as you've just accurately pointed out. Yes, as always, very hyperbolic, but I enjoyed it. But I can absolutely see where you're coming from with that. Uh, we got Jake Atlas versus... Ikerigado to the moon next. Uh, he came out, uh, he's cutting a promo on his arch nemesis uh, or his arch rival, uh, Ted DiBiase. Uh, he shows a video of all the biggest... Bits of Teddy Biossi like a knobhead, basically. Big losses, embarrassing moments, etc. Grimes is loving this. And then the CWC crowd, or just someone presses a button, the DiBiossi chants start coming through and he already throws another conniption, but he's furious. Um, so uh, Atlas and Grimes get into it back and forth. Uh, during the match, we see a, a white limo arriving at the building, of course, with a dollar sign on it. Uh, Atlas gets a great near fall from a massive lariat on Grimes. And then suddenly Grimes counters him, hits a running Spanish fly, and looks like he's setting up for the finish. When suddenly the Million Dollar Man's music hits, Teddy Biossi walks out. Grimes is looking at him. Uh, Jake Atlas rolls him up. Jake Atlas even makes roll-ups look good. How are they messing him up so much? He rolls up and he just looks like he's completely stacked him. There's no escape. Uh, he gets the victory uh, and uh, DiBiase does his signature laugh as Grimes just flips out again in the ring. He runs out. He chases him out to his limo. He tries to get in, tries to open the door, does open it, but he has to pretend he can't. Let's the door shut again. I mean, whoever's driving that limo is getting fired. There's a child lock button, surely. You you guys will know something <laughs> about this. Uh so he tries to tries to get in, tries to get in the limo, and the uh, the window comes down, and DiBiase says, "He did good, kid. You just no million dollar man." He chuckles to himself. The limo drives off, and Grimes's head explodes yet again. And uh, we're getting what was it, a million dollar face off or something next week, which I cannot wait for, Sige. I half liked the hint from what DiBiase said to him through the window that there's a idea that he's going to mentor him. And mm. in fact, he's possibly been mentoring him all along. Um, beyond that, I'm getting badly to get to the point territory. Mm. It's no longer that funny. They've done funnier stuff with this. And yeah, we're going to get to the point. So yeah, that's one thing. But like, the longer this drags on without any real connection to pro wrestling or how this dynamic could genuinely alter the trajectory of Cameron Grimes' career beyond he's a little tit 
a, a funny <laughs> one, but a little tit who just has conniption fits, right? Okay, it's cute. The more they don't do anything substantial with it, the more I'm thinking it's, it's no wonder these this lot have just completely had their asses handed to them in a war. They are using DBRC as a sight gag for the amusement of the boomers who the advertisers don't care about. Like it's not cutting edge relevant, particularly buzzworthy stuff. It's cute for what it is and the show needs it, but just get to the point. It was a bit of a filler this week, wasn't it, Hamlet? Yeah, a little bit. There was a lot of um there was a lot of clips of Henry Godwin slopping Ted DiBiase. And I'm thinking, look, you've already given me a new house. Can you give something to the young fans instead? Like <laughs> I've, I've, I'm getting what I need out of this product. Um yeah, it, this this was a bit of a filler week. Same um, to echo Sidgwick's point, I got the same vibes about a possible relationship between the two of them, maybe, rather than it ending in an actual feud or DBRC having an opponent. Uh, like, that dialogue wasn't by accident, and I, I did appreciate that, because it did... Instantly, I just felt like, oh, Christ, thanks, some direction. Like, I needed some direction to this. Um, I'm going to say the phrase, good little match, without it meaning to be as patronising as it sounds, because it was good and little. Um, Cameron Grimes, like... He wrestles. When I watch him wrestle, I feel like I'm watching Daniel Bryan enter for that Brock Lesnar match at Survivor Series when he kind of came down the ring like a spider. Like, there's something so creepy crawly about Cameron Grimes' style that I find so, like, absorbing. He, We've mentioned this before. He wrestles like Cameron Grimes is supposed to wrestle, and that's such a problem in NXT because they are, we know they're all coming through this multi-million dollar gym, and we know that they're all going to Shawn Michaels finishing schools, and they're all going to the same promo class and stuff. So when personality actually seeps out of the wrestlers themselves, like they're performers, they should be elevated versions of the characters they perform as when they're wrestling. Cameron Grimes is one of the very best at that. Jake Atlas is pretty good too, but obviously he's given far less in the matches to be able to show that off. But I just thought this was a really lovely five-minute exhibition of all of that before like a pretty disappointing finish the finish was rubbish and that i think was the big problem here because it kind of put me in a bit of a bad mood for whatever was to come with dibiossi like the dibiossi content was all right but i thought like the music distraction laugh finish was like really lame and i was in like i was less willing to forgive the door opening bit because i was like Oh, you've just done the laziest possible idea for using Ted DiBiase live. Oh, now the doors come open. This is a botch, isn't it? You screwed all this up. And then they won me back around a bit by the end, but I don't feel like there was such a need to put a bad taste in my mouth in the first place. Yeah, these finishes don't work at all. They are absolutely dead, passe. Every single bad word you can throw at them, and they particularly don't work when it's... So you have heel versus baby face. The heel comes out of the track. The heel rolls them up. You essentially... In theory, this never happens. Get heat on two heels. Um, Jake Atlas just looks like a punk for rolling them up and taking that win. I, even if he's like, it's the clever thing to do, don't book it to look like that. Sad thing, we go, what else do you expect him to do? It's like, well, you're looking at this situation as what's the best thing for the situation. I'm looking at the situation as don't do the situation. Yeah. Scroll through the WWE.com photos for any TV show, Raw, SmackDown, or NXT. Every week, without fail, you will find one image, at least, of a baby face celebrating sat on the floor or sat on the ramp. That's such a massive problem, and they shouldn't need telling as to why that is. But that is such a... Every single week there will be a baby face celebrating on the floor. What that means is they've just rolled out. They've just stole one. They're just escaping with the victory. You know, um, the highway rats that every single one of them are. I, I just, I don't want to see that visual anymore. Well, you're going to see it on Friday. <laughs> uh, a little video package promoting the, the steel cage match for the main event. Uh, Bronson Reed talking about the fact it's literally, I think, 14 years to the day since he started wrestling and he promises to win and, and win for for his family, his wife. He wants to celebrate with her at the end of the night. And then we go to Pudun's uh, sit-down interview. Uh, he's asked who he wants to face next. He talks about beating Kashidi. He said he's got unfinished business with Walter and Finn Balor and he wants carrying Cross, the NXT champ. He wants everyone, basically. Um, he's asked whether he gets enough respect. He says, oh, no, I've never had a bad match. He talks about his, the style that he wrestles in and the influences from England and Japan and the US. Talks about his goals. He's asked about what he wants to do. He says he doesn't set goals, uh, but it's time he goes after the NXT title. He's conquered the UK, and now it's time to take over here. 
What did you think, Hamlet? Um, bad execution of a good idea, this. Uh, the sit-down sports interview, Pete Dunn away from the bravado he's not very good at in the ring, should have really helped. Um, he could have been like mean and nasty and shown a bit of disdain for the interview without it being like too campy and pro wrestling and over the top, but he could have just shown that he's not a nice man um, to get over this character that he's trying to portray and this idea that he's going to win titles and he's done everything and all that. Like we pick on the content of all this every week. Pete Dunne's character is a mess. This didn't help. This didn't fix that. But they went so far in that, that I think he ended up coming across as neither heel nor babyface, And he just became another part of this NXT characterization problem it's talking about like how different it's how awesome it's going to be when the fans are back because what a difference they make and wanting to win titles because he's already won over here and won over there like he didn't come across as this nasty embittered heel like he, he was bordering on babyface at times so I think the idea was really good um, and something Pete Dunne could have really benefited from I think the scripting and perhaps his performance of it like really let him down this didn't work, I don't think. What was this? What was this? It didn't establish a match. It didn't establish a trajectory. He just said some wishy-washy stuff about, oh, he'll do anything. He literally he needs to stop saying he doesn't care. He needs to stop saying, he says, I don't care, almost every single week. So why should I? Mm. Why should I? I don't care conveys the fact that he's an aimless, directionless character. They've clearly got some sort of direction for him, but they've they're nowhere near articulating what that is. And at some points, I thought, humble, nice guy. He looks a little bit uncomfortable, and he clearly knows that he's better in the ring than he is at this. I almost felt sympathetic to the guy who will snap your fingers off. Like, mm. What was he talking about his connection with the fans for? Mm. Unbelievable. And again, when the guy asked him, you know, when he asked the guy, look what happened to Johnny Gargano. And the guy looked like, don't ask me. I, I can't remember the result of that match. I <laughs> no, I couldn't either. He's like, I won. He's like, all right, okay, thanks for reminding us. Um, I got, I, what was this? What on earth? Is he a heel? Is he a baby face? Am I meant to like him? Does he like fans? Is he just a mean bastard? Because that's how he usually acts in the ring. What's he going to do next? Why should I care? This is just a soupy waste of time. And it's one of those things where he simply is not a particularly good promo. Um, I never thought I'd say this, but I think he's better scripted. This felt like an attempt, right? Let's get some more of your personality, Pete Dunn. I kind of half liked him at points. Just came across as like a hardworking guy who possibly hasn't found himself yet. Didn't go into pit. I just didn't. What the, I don't know what to think, so I'm just going to stop talking. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Right, let's move next on to Alexander Wolf versus Killian Dane. That match was meant to happen, of course, last week. There was issues with the dock and speculation about who made sure the match didn't happen last week. Was it the medic? Was it Alexander Wolf telling him to tell him that he couldn't wrestle? Whatever it may be, the match was uh, rescheduled for tonight. And Dane, obviously, just massive powerhouse, dominates from the start. And, Immediately, Marcel Bartel, who's there on the ringside with Fabian Eichner, Drake Maverick in Killian Dane's corner, of course. He jumps up on the apron. Maverick jumps up to even the odds and gets sent flying. Uh, Dane knocks Bartel off the apron. Uh, that allows Wolf to get in and hit a German suplex. Uh, Marcel Bartel slides a, uh, a chair into the ring and orders Wolf to hit Dane with it. Uh, in the in all the, the, the hesitation and the, the referee getting involved in all this, that allows Dane to hit a running crossbody. One, two, three. Killian Dane wins. Uh, Maverick comes in, jumps on his back, celebrates. Post-match, Imperium go to do their pose. But then suddenly, uh, Eichner and Bartel turn on Wolf. They attack him, beat him down, leave him laying there. And, uh, well, that's it. He's out. He's been betrayed by his imperial imperium brethren and uh yeah sanity maybe reuniting i suppose sige that was the worst part of the show by some distance and i really didn't like that prime target um at all dane did some quite fun stuff and he timed it really well too otherwise the match was kind of drab and it was all pretext whatever the hell that post match was alexander wolf is an idiot everyone else except him could have spotted that betrayal coming five miles away and why on earth when you just got beat would you celebrate a loss just to stage that angle if he was a half decent baby face he would not have even someone on the verge of turning into one he would not have celebrated a loss he would not have been stupid enough to realize that the celebration was just like orchestrate so that they could stand behind him and attack him from behind. I thought there's and there's no emotional heft to any of this whatsoever. Sanity were a I love them in what the first war games. I really like that first match. I don't know if I've told you before. Um but beyond that they were like, ugh, crap this from almost prime NXT. So there's no heft to any of this whatsoever. Characters involved look like idiots. Imperium are involved, sorry. Like I'd I'd go to the you know I've said this a million times about Imperium. I would be entertained massively by them going really physically at a live show. I don't want to see them on telly. This is one of the reasons why I don't want to see them on telly. I don't think I could possibly care about Alexander Wolf, God bless his soul, as a TV character. And I was given less reason to potentially care about him down the line. All of this was bad NXT being bad. I don't want to talk about Sanity. Sanity work crap. I hate Sanity. I really like this. (laughs) Like, couldn't, like, I was really surprised at how much Sidgwick disliked it just there because I really quite enjoyed this. In stark and, for me, quite pleasing contrast to Cameron Grimes, I like that this got to the point. Um, Alexander Wolf didn't want the match with Killian Dane last week, obviously. Didn't want to fight him. He's gone a bit soft. Walter's spotted it and has obviously <laughs> told them, like, if he does this again, he's out. You know, that, that that feels like the story that's been told. Um, the pause was stupid. The pause to set it up was stupid. Completely agree. It's, you know, they should have been, should have thought of another way to have them turn on him and make it look particularly cruel. That's what they were going for, weren't they? It was like, how can we make this look the cruelest? Like, what's going to be most effective? Oh, look, we're all still a gang. We're not a gang anymore. Stabbed him in the back. Should have come up with something better for that because that felt a bit cheap. But the match was too short to get boring. Mm. The choice of spot worked for me. The idea that they absolutely, again, acting presumably under Walter's orders, they just don't care. Like, batter this guy, batter the little guy, 
come on, show you, show who you are. Like, even we all know that this, uh, the, the canvas blah, 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 is all nonsense. We're, we're bad guys. We're bad guys. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to beat up his friend. A story that, I, you know, I, like, I think they've told. I don't have to have been interested in much of it, but they have explored the relationship between Killian Dane and Alexander Wolfe. And, you know, like it's been over the course of this is where I'm with Sidgwick over some pretty boring Imperium tag matches. So, you know, I appreciate that, like some of all this is kind of dry. I thought this was by far the most entertaining, like part of this story so far. Like I, I didn't say I didn't see the turn coming. So maybe that's on me. Like I didn't see this being the week that they would flip. But like he's out now. I am absolutely not calling for a return of sanity. Not at all. Um, I just enjoyed this as a little like segment of television. Um, speaking of bits you enjoyed, my favourite bit of the show that wasn't in ring came next. Uh, that was a brief interview. It'll come with Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. They talked. They congratulated on defending the NXT Women's Championship, and then she's asked uh, Raquel Gonzalez about the confrontation between Gonzalez and Kai in the trainers' room. And uh, Raquel says, "Look, we've all got Twitter. We all saw what happened. Look." I respect Mercedes Martinez. I wanted to show that. Dakota Kai, meanwhile, wanted her to kick her head off. And then they went on to, to well, they were about to talk more about how they want to regain those tag team titles. They want those belts back when the greatest thing uh, this week about NXT shows up, and that is Ever-Rise. They walk in. They've got little mugs that they drink out of. And I don't, everything that they say makes me smile. And bits in this, like I say, made me genuinely laugh out loud. Well, you got to be greedy. You're already a champion. You, eh, not so much. <laughs> a pair, a pair of pencils. They go, so they, the Kai and Gonzalez are like, sorry, who are you? Who are we? Uh, kind of like the best tag team ever and the host of the smash hit ever rise live. How do you like that? How do you like that? Why is that so funny? How do you like that? <laughs> and then, then they're going, ah, ah. Raquel Gonzalez, friend of the show. And she goes, I've literally <laughs> never seen it. And the, 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 the thing that really made me laugh, I don't know why. She goes, I've never seen it. And one of them goes, excuse me? Like that, that got me. Excuse me? And then the other one goes, ah, oh, sounds like you got a problem, huh? You want to take a swing at me? And the other one goes, I oh, don't worry. There's no way she's going to. Obviously, immediately, Gonzalez just twats him. He goes down, spills his coffee everywhere. Kyan Gonzalez laugh and walk off. It's just so basic stuff. But these boys are poppers every time for me, Hamlet. Yeah. Ever Eyes Live is such a brilliant bit. Such an inspired bit, right? Because like, obviously right now, they're just like um, Troy and Abbott in the morning of community where it's just a talk, <laughs> it's a talk show in their own mind. But it's wrestling. Somehow this will make its way to being NXT's like talk show segment, but for a change, it's organic. Like they've had to work up from bringing their own piece of cardboard to put in front of the logo and getting their own mugs made. That at some point, Everrise will host a talk show. How great is that, by the way? Like I can't wait till the weeks where we're talking about I don't know Johnny Gargano is a guest on Everrise Live, and it's just this thing that we accept now that they're like talk show. Brilliant! Like that Gibson and James Drake. Yeah, it's never been about who they are in the ring, that will obviously come. We'll, yeah. we'll one day see an Everise match where we're like, wow, these can actually go or something. But like, it's m- way more about the personality and they found the vehicle in which to use this personality. So we're going to get there at some point and watching them on that journey is just tremendous. Um, so yeah, really funny. Like, I, I can't top the pops that you've uh, that you've already dropped with this stuff that Everise have like delivering week on week on week now, this consistency there and the way they're being used is not an accident. It's not just stuff that we're having to dig out on Twitter or YouTube. So that's great. And I want to like heap praise on the Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez stuff again. This is like the third time that they've talked in an interview about knowing that people want them to split. This is like, this is the way you book pro wrestling in 2021. Wrestlers can't be, what do you mean the attack was by accident? I haven't watched last week's show. You you can't do that stuff anymore because there are clips of last week's show kicking around on Twitter every single day. Twitter, which wrestlers are on all the time, tweeting in real life and in character. They have to acknowledge that people are buzzing about them eventually splitting and then banter that bit off completely. Their split is going to come because the two of them in their own heads are splitting. They're going to fight in the ring and it's going to be a step too far. 
or they're going to have a clash at the gym again. It's going to be like, like, well, I know what people are saying. I'm not going to buy into any of that, but I'm a bit pissed off that you did that. Like, it's got to feel real between them and they're not going to let what they know is happening in the background, like, inform any of that. And I just, that, again, that's like the third time that details come up and I really appreciate that. It gives me a lot of faith that they've thought that that split all the way through and that split's going to be awesome. Like, we're all, it's going to be something we get to anticipate now for the, pretty much the duration of, like, Gonzalez's title reign until it happens. So that hit for me. Ever Eyes of Piss Funny. Great. All great. <sighs> Sorry, I'm not, I wasn't bored. I, just... I, threw, I threw it at you on a yawn there and then I realised that's going to sound like a raw bit. <laughs> no, it's not a raw bit. I'll tell you what, you know what isn't a raw bit, right? I really need a piss right now. I'm not going to go for it. <laughs> I really want to talk about that tag match. Great. Um, yeah, this is funny and also effective. It's really good when characters interact in a shared universe because you can get a team over on the level that they need to be over and you can use them as a punching bag for something like this. Just good, entertaining WWE stuff. You want to take a swing at me? There's no way she's going to. I think she was pulling back as he was saying there's no <laughs> going to. My mom says, what do you think of that? Great. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of that? <laughs> so she doesn't say their other catchphrase. Uh, right, let's move on to Thatcher and Champa versus Lagarde. Um, there was a bit where they both Thatcher and Champa both got a, a Wilder and Mendoza in, in ankle locks. They reverse it uh, to go for falls. And referee goes, "I don't know what you're doing. You can't why you can't do two pinfalls? I don't know what's going on here." Um, Mendoza got busted open. I think he got hit by an elbow. They 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 sort of recapped it after a break, saying that he'd been checked over. He was cleared by the medical team to get to carry on. Uh, lots of great uh, diving in to save and break up pinfalls, mainly mainly by Thatcher, uh, Champer, and Thatcher ran wild in parts as well. Wild does a flip flip dive to the outside. Champer hits a widow's bell, covers Mendoza, but uh, right at the last second, in comes uh, Wild to break up the pin at like 2.9 or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, grizzled young veterans come down, uh, attack Tommaso Ciampa, attack Tommaso Ciampa on the outside, rolling back in the ring. Agado do Fantasa may hit their double team finisher on them. Uh, and Mendoza pins Ciampa. Sid, you said you enjoyed this. Yeah, I love this. I think it was the best match of the night. Um, with respect to the main event, which I thought did its job very, very well indeed. This is just something else like um, the kicks that Thatcher took to the goddamn chest, the defiance that he fought through them, like the timing of everything was so on point. Not only did it nail that tone of, oh, these guys are kicking the shit out of each other. That's great. This is a fight, but it's a fight in a way that, unlike some of Thatcher's early NXT stuff, putting them in the tag team is the best idea they've ever had, by the way. Um, like a fight with a sense of urgency and it had that entertainment value and it had that adrenaline rush factor going into it. The timing of everything was splendid. That I didn't see it coming, that 2.9 save from the Wills Bell. I thought that was awesome. Um, I will be lenient on the finish because it is simply just what NXT does. And the, the tag team division picture is so much of a marked improvement on what drivel, drab drivel they were doing last year that at least like it feels like a priority again. I thought this match and some of the work in it was absolutely first rate. Um, so good that it just didn't really, I wasn't really bothered by the finish. Um, yes, it's great. Yeah, how good is this, man? Like, I, these were wrestling as if NXT had rankings. That's how good this was. <laughs> rankings, rankings are really helpful. A framework of wins and losses mattering. It doesn't have to be literal rankings. It's really, shockingly, helpful to the quality of matches, and that's what was going on here. Legada del Fantasma, we've known through the story that they were next for MSK, but they were wrestling like they had something to prove to get that shot, as if beforehand this match was presented as... It wasn't, but it was as if this match was a number one contenders match, and they were like empowered by the idea that like the one last thing they had to do was prove themselves against two really, really hard lads to get that shot, just to kind of like recover... Again, like. It almost doesn't feel worth revisiting anymore. Recover the battering they took against Karen Cross. Like the Lagarde del Fantasma rehab since then has been outstanding. Like as has the rehab on this division at large. It's it's a work in progress. You can tell that they've still got their um their the the key matches and the key combinations. I wouldn't say yet like 
by any means this is fixed, but it just feels like everything's going on the right track. Week after week, we have a really good tag match to talk about, and that's like the standard for the women's division. So if they can get there for the tag division, they're, they're properly onto something again. Um, <laughs> I just never thought I'd see the day that Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa would both make such good like hot tag merchants. Yeah, they're both they're both great at being Ricky or Robert. Like I, I don't know how this has happened because look at the pair of them, man. Like they should be they should be the grizzled old vets to the grizzled young vets, mm. and yet they're this like they've got this like baby face superpower energy when they want to turn it on. I love it. I think the chemistry is amazing. Yeah. As Cedric pointed out, the the like Thatcher getting in this division was inspired, but it's not like Champa was going places either. So like this whole team's inspired. They can lose, and it doesn't feel like they're buried six feet deep now. Like we know that Champa and Thatcher are at a level where they can get a couple of wins together and bounce back. So like that's ideal because they they've put an over Legado del Fantasma. This is like a big win for mm. Fantasma, like before they get the title shot, and it felt that way too. Um, just class, really, really good. Um, Grizzled Young Vets versus Grizzled Old Bastards is a match I want to see. So sold me on that too. Great. <laughs> oh, like, all great. Uh, and yeah, later on in the show, Regal announced uh, that Legado del Fantasma will challenge MSK for the tag titles in two weeks. Uh, women's tag titles on the line next week. We'll get to that promo uh, in due course. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, next week we're also getting the million dollar face off and Frankie Monet's debut alongside that NXT world title match. Uh, we got a backstage interview with Bobby Fish. Uh, he didn't. He said he didn't make the save last week to help Cool Cat O'Reilly, but to get his hands on Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan for the injury that they gave him at. Um, he then challenges Dunne to a match next week to to settle what they had going on, and uh, we cut back to the spot where Lorraine Hartwell are just saying how great they they are, how great they feel. Uh, they they're just feeling fantastic, not just as tag champs, but just just generally. And then a woman comes in and announces that Candice LeRae's card has been declined. And I'm like, oh, bloody hell, what's Austin Theory been spending on it now? I don't know how this woman knew this, but she went, oh, no, it was a florist. I don't know how you find that sort of information out. But anyway, um, LeRae's like, oh, I can't, can't, can't think what that could be. Obviously, it's all the stuff with the, the flowers and Shotzi and et cetera, et cetera. But Indy Hartwell isn't angry. She just realises that NXT's surreal love story can continue and she skips out of the room announcing he still loves me. Sige, your thoughts? It's the kind of segment that you don't really care about the fact that none of it makes sense, but none of it made sense. <laughs> yeah. How was she being able to use a credit card yesterday, for example, for a purchase that was made however many weeks ago? How little money are the stars of NXT making? <laughs> if you're going to get... Maybe uh, that was the Max... Way's exclusive credit card. She's like, I'm not putting that on my expenses. I can charge this to the work account. The law of the way, is it, Willborn? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mate. Jesus Christ, you're better than that. You're much better than that. Look, it was a load of bollocks to arrive at a plot point, but it's not the kind of story where I really care about the detail. So I will have it. I... Yeah, I thought this was good in spite of how nonsensical it was. Um, I like the energy of, like, that, that rom-com energy of, like, now they've both overcome this obstacle, Hartwell and Dexter Loomis can find each other again. Like, it's it's silly stuff, but that's exactly what it's designed to be. I have... We're going to skip ahead a little bit if it's all right. I have a significant concern about the potential divide in between Hartwell and LeRae when they have that rematch, which, by the way, I hate with uh, Shotzi and Ember Moon next week. I have a real concern over that. I don't need that match, any of it. Well, it's not, right? it's Gonzalez and um, thing, isn't it? Dakota Kai? I thought it was Shotzi and Ember Moon, wasn't it? It well, was Ember and Shotzi will challenge Candice and Indy in, in uh, next... Yeah, because Ember eyes were like, uh, no, Shotzi and Ember are the number one contenders. Oh, for and Christ's sake. So the idea was, Kai, the idea was Kai Gonzalez would be waiting for the winners. Um, so I was like, well, I hate that booking straight away, and then I hate even more the idea that like the way it might now be compromised, and Moon and Shotty win the belts back, and we're just back. Where, like, I'm sure it won't. Like, I'm not sure it won't happen. I'm saying I'm sure it won't happen. The way I've only just won the belts, maybe it will. Maybe they see the Dexter Lumis stuff as the reason to get the belts back off them. I hope not. I wish this match wasn't happening. Shotty Blackheart and Candice LeRae, guys. Yeah, what are they going to do to each other? <laughs> Grab a hold. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I just, I, I, I've got real worries that they're going to switch the belt again next week. Quick I was bang up, I was bang up for this rain. Quick word of Sidge as well on the promo later from Blackheart and Moon talking about rebuilding and rebuilding their tank and then thinking they've sort of nailed this great catchphrase of, huh, that's what she said. There's <laughs> the big finish. The, the dorks, the, they are complete and utter dorks and they are making me like Shotty Blackheart less and less and less every single goddamn week. How, how do you, that's what she said. Yeah. How, like everybody's seen the gift, but they've not seen the office. Is that the is that the crack? So <laughs> this is pattern NXT realistically. So <laughs> yeah, I Jesus Christ. This was like uh we've all been much kinder to Shotzi since the early days. Like, but much like tanks, when it came to this promo, I didn't give it. So <laughs> I just thought when she said that's what she said, I was like, she didn't just say that, did she? It's like a <laughs> okay. Uh, prior to that, we had a promo uh, from Gargano ahead of his, his title match with Bronson Reed. And uh, also, we got uh, a brief match with Saray versus Aaliyah. I'm 100% on Team Sidge with this. I guarantee you probably reacted the same way because I've just fallen in love with, with Saray over the few weeks that we've seen her. Right at the beginning, Saray just 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 does the customary, oh, let's have a handshake before it. And Aaliyah cheap shots her. And I went, kill her, Saray. No one does that to you. And she did. Aaliyah uh, got some offense in, but Saray hit that mad missile drop kick she does when she's sort of in the rope, her opponent's in the ropes. Saito suplex, one, two, three. I love her, Sage. She's great. I do too. There's already, already the sense that they don't know how to tell stories for people who can't speak English as their first language yeah. or fluently or whatever. Uh, repetitive stuff for me, this, and I've got nothing further to add, realistically. Uh, stuff always looks good. It's one of those things where you could always care more. CM Punk used to tell people, right, when he was in that company, like, it could always be better. Like, this company could always be better. And that's a feeling that I share with him completely. Like, this could be better. They could tell a story for her. Um, but it's still vibrant and exciting. I haven't been desensitized to how excellent she is yet. So maybe they sense that people will sense that too. They will be currently working out if they've not already worked out already um, who, what heel it is that interrupts or steps to Sir, to Ray. My gut feelings that it might end up being Tony Storm, but like the match that's going to be her first big moment, possibly even like a takeover sort of thing. Remember it was like Dana Brooke and Emma for Asuka. Yeah, like they're bringing like somebody with like international pedigree and a heel is too cocky for their own good, uh, you know, as if they've not been watching what she can actually do and then they're taking out and stuff. Um, I want to give like a little bit of credit to Aaliyah here because like she's been in the performance center slash NXT system too long. It is not developmental if you're not developing, and I've like it's a long time that she's not been developing. It's very satisfying watching her take a beating. She's really good at something, and it's rare that she's going to get much credit for that because obviously it's always on the other end of taking a beating. But that's a skill, and I just want to give her a bit of credit for that. I can think of several times when Ali has taken a very convincing and satisfying light kicking. So in that regard, she's like perfect as a member of the Robert Stone brand as well. Um, Robert Stone wearing obviously hat from five years ago. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it just. That gimmick has got such a, a low ceiling. So, like, I think they all kind of make the best of it. Uh, that was when we got the, that's what she said, promo. And then we got Hit Row, uh, well, Ashanti the Adonis and Top Dollar from yeah, Hit Row. I need a piss. Tony Nice and Aria Davari. I'll talk about it, just I do actually need a piss. Nice and Davari just got battered here, flew all over the place. Did make them look really good, to be fair. Uh, top dollar picked them both up for a mad sort of fall of double fall away slam. Uh, Adonis hit a drop kick and uh, they were just kicking the out of them in the corner almost to the point where where top dollar had to sort of stop Ashanti's before they got disqualified. Uh, and the finish was sort of a, a an F you into a brain buster, I suppose is the best way of describing it. Uh, top dollar covers Davari for a pinfall. Post-match, some fresh rhymes being dropped by Hit Row. <laughs> but Swerve basically says he wants he wants to face whoever wins the NXT North American Championship later on. Uh, <laughs> what did you think? Well, I think it's funny that Cedric's like, gone to the toilet during this match because the row is what we call the row of cubicles in the uh, new office toilet block. <laughs> it, 
And to be honest, because they're still relatively new, I think I'd probably enjoy looking at them for two minutes 20 rather than a hit row match. This was too functional to be fun. Um, it was too boring to like really establish hit row as like a danger, as a threat, which is supposed to be the point. You know, Swerve's assembled uh, his own army now and... The, the idea is is that obviously like you can't stables are great you can't have more than one the way so you've got to find a, a different way to book a stable um they've got to be dangerous perhaps or they've got to be a proper threat i don't think that was particularly well established here um despite the fact that it was over davari and nice who we know and they're kind of stars is a big word but you know they're, they're known wrestlers they're yeah. long long-standing guys so like this should have felt way way more impactful than it actually did so i feel as a match this failed um and i'm still just getting like parent teacher association sponsored support group vibe out of them like when they slid into the corner so that friggin we could get the later on johnny gargano's in the cage match like they've already fed them the exposition so like that's no good I didn't believe any of it for the second week in a row. And the match was like nowhere near effective enough at establishing them as, as an actual danger to the rest of NXT. I can't imagine. So like, let's go to AW because the comparison is always easier. If John Moxley um, and Eddie Kingston have just been attacked by the elite and they're pissed off and they're walking backstage, you can sort of visualize them walking down the hallway and like people ducking out of their way or seeing them coming a bit, oh, I'll just go back in there for five minutes. I don't, I don't want any of their like anger. I don't need that energy right now. I'll wait to live. I've heard the car wheels screeching and they've left for the night. Um, I don't imagine that at all. Hit row go backstage and there's like Ever Riser pissing about with the new mugs or whatever. Like somebody's doing some weights in the corner. They don't feel like a danger to this roster. And if Swerve's not put them together for that, why are they this act? All I know is that for the second week in a row, I didn't believe a goddamn word they were saying. I was cringing. It feels consistent with the idea that nothing can ever resonate as real in this company, whichever brand, red, yellow, blue, whatever. Um, in a similar vein to Cool Kyle O'Reilly, it feels like a totally futile attempt to coax out a real personality and extend it and turn it up to 11, as they say, and it just can't work in the system because it is just too overproduced and micromanaged and lame and corporate and soulless. Oh, God, I just hate this act already. Like, I really do. I hate them. I hate Kyle O'Reilly. In these micromanaged roles is the caveat there. And that's what he said. Did I get it right? <laughs> I get that one right. Is that, is that how that joke works? I mean, I said it. <laughs> Main event time, uh, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed in a steel cage for the NXT North American Championship. Uh, and as soon as the match starts, they followed Sidgwick's booking. Gargano immediately rushing to try and get out of the cage door. Reed stops him, batters him, chucks him around. Uh, eventually, Gargano fights back, springboard moonsault uh, off the top rope on Reed. Later on, Reed catches Gargano when he's going for another springboard, hits him with a Death Valley driver. After the commercials, uh, Reed comes, makes a comeback. It's it's uh, an avalanche Samoan drop uh, off the ropes with Gargano. Uh, Gargano answers back with a power bomb off the top rope. Theory's just an annoying gnat at ringside. He's always trying to help Gargano escape. He's trying to pull him out of the ring at one point. Um, at that point, Reed pulls Gargano by the feet back in. Theory goes to to the, do the old slam the the cage door on the babyface's head, but Reed. Turns the tables, how the turntables, uh, slams the cage door in Theory's face. Counters one final beat. Reed does, uh, is crawling for the door this time. Theory is successful in slamming the cage door in his face. Uh, Gargano hits one final beat, but Reed kicks out. Gargano attempts to climb over Reed uh, out of the cage. Um, but Gargano instead gets hit with a super power bomb. Theory again tries to interfere by climbing the cage. Reed just knocks him off it. Reed closes the cage door, gets Gargano, tsunami, in the words of Stu Bennett, covers Gargano. One, two, three. Bronson Reed is your new North American champion. And as you alluded to earlier, Sige, 
you know, not necessarily match of the night, but this did everything it needed to. Yeah, absolutely. Great presentation without being a great match, though there were elements where I thought, yes, what you've done here is that you have made a special attraction feel special through your sort of embrace of the creativity. Like the um, the sunset flip bomb spot was unbelievable work from Gargano. They told the perfect story of a WWE cage match as I thought they might yesterday on the preview. Um, Bronson Reed only ever climbed that goddamn thing to get Gargano into it again. Mm-hmm. I thought they measured everything with Austin Theory really well to the point where I didn't feel like, oh, it's a cage match, so there has to be interference. It just felt like every story beat, every spot, the fact that it was a cage match to settle this particular dispute and how Bronson Reed is not being allowed to have a fair match with the way. I just thought it was exactly what I needed to be. And there's no real, I wasn't 100 million percent thrilled by this dangerous feeling proper grudge cage match. But as far as the WWE cage match goes with the players involved, I thought it was uh, pitch perfect. That might be feigned praise, but it's praise nonetheless. Poison Rana on Bronson Reed. Yeah, I mean, they went big at certain moments. Like it was just enough of a spectacle to justify a cage match where so often they've done cage matches just because. Um, This is another indication that there are elements of this product that are actually working again. That Poison Rana, I thought, was better than every single spot in the third fall of Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole at TakeOver Toronto. Like, genuinely, like, how it actually meant something. God, it felt impactful. And, like, Gargano remembering himself for a second and being like, "I, I don't just have to run. Like, I'm really under the cosh here, and I don't just have to run. And I know I've got something like this in my locker. Like, I, I thought that, like, the timing of that spot, like, the execution was great as well. But, like, the timing of that spot was just superb. Um, very, very good, this. Um, Cedric's right to be critical of WWE cage matches, what that style represents and what damage it's done at the cage as a stipulation overall. I'm a, like, and I have been on the podcast in the past, I'm a pretty big advocate for the NXT ones. I think they've gone, like... And I probably, it probably doesn't get enough credit, but I think they've gone quite a long way to establishing the cage match as an actual feud decider as a blow-off. Again, more cage matches are good than bad in NXT, I think. Um, Austin Theory on the outside had like the energy of a 1980s manager with the like, physical ability of a 2021 wrestler, which was sort of perfect. Mm. Like a Slick or a Bobby Heenan couldn't get like trapped and sandwiched between the door like Austin Theory could, but it like told the same story and it puts over Bronson Reed as this baby face, like that has to do so much more work than he should need to. The whole idea is, is that trapped in a cage, Johnny Gargano is not lasting two minutes with Bronson Reed, unless he's got the likes of Austin Theory to help, or unless he's got that one quick dash for the door or whatever it is. And I just thought they told that story. Well, it's probably, it's probably Bronson Reed's best ever match in the fact that it was memorable. Like Bronson Reed has good matches. He's put in some good performances and there's been the odd memorable spot here or there. But like this, this felt like the making of him. And considering how half in, half out they've been with his booking, like that's a success in and of itself. So I thought, I thought this was very good. Um, and I'll be interested to see now if he can kind of live up to what they expect from their champions. Bronson Reed is now, like it was no accident that we got wind of, like Bronson Reed's family being over in Australia and his wife being in attendance and all that sort of stuff. This is absolutely where WWE go with their babyface champions. Uh, and it'll be interesting now to see how Bronson Reed copes with this as the next sort of next stage of his evolution of the character, I guess. He's got to be the monster in the match and then they're going to make him the nice guy. Meet my wife. Like we've met frigging Kashida's baby. That's like, that's how, that's how far they go with this babyface sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, but this was definitely the like the perfect start from. I'll tell you what will be interesting as well is if you work out how many title matches they put on TV when they're up against AEW compared to how many they put on now. Because we've got obviously had one tonight, we got two next week, we've got one or two the week after that. But they all feel a lot more natural and organic. Is that fair to say, Hamper? I I mean I think so, yeah. Um this is I've said it a few times before. Um, there was such a robust pattern to how NXT used to book that it, you could you could justify a bit of criticism towards it. Two and three week television cycles while you tee up the takeover opponent in the background. But basic wrestling has existed for years like this, effectively so. And that's all ever NXT needed to be before it showed its arse in the war constantly. Um, so yes, while there probably is 
maybe just as many title matches as there was in wartime, when they feel earned, you don't care. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Totally fair. Title matches draw ratings. The way to do them is to not make it feel like you are so desperate. And if nothing else, I still think there are fundamental problems with this brand. You see it in Cool Kyle O'Reilly. You see it in Hit Row. It's artificial. Ugh. But the old-fashioned mechanics of pro wrestling booking, this company is brand is getting right again. But where's LA Knight and Shansha? <laughs> yeah, very good point. That's a very valid point. Uh, and I suppose the, the, the good thing they are doing with these title matches that they didn't do during the war is actually give us a finish. Mm. So then we're just like, well, uh, well, you have to watch next week because if you want to see who's finishing the build, not just a match graphic. Yeah, exactly. Iron, yeah. Ma- Iron Man cage ladder match is the only way to solve it, says William Regal. <laughs> Uh, but there you have it. Bronson Reed is the new North American champion to uh, to cap off another great episode of NXT. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Got the AEW Dynamite preview to come later on today. But for now, this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.